we launched into this year with a desire and a vision for, a hope for, a people who would know who they are. That that's who we'd be. We'd be a people who, with some, with some clear direction, have some understanding about who we are. And I mean that in two specific ways. One, who we are as people on an individual level, like as individuals, just as one person, and yet also on a corporate level, that we would understand who we are as Double Oak Community Church Chelsea. What is it that makes us us? What defines us? And for us, the foundation of who we are is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be gospel people. We want there to be a gospel culture that exists here. What does all that mean? <coughs> what it means is that we will see everyone's like, well, how long is it going to go? Um, uh, look, we want to be, we want to be this culture of people, this group of people that is so centered on the reality of what Jesus has done that it defines everything about who we are. So the longer you're at Double Oak Community Church, you're going to hear this language that's just going to continue to kind of emerge wherever you find yourself, that we're, we long to be people that believe in the gospel, that live in the gospel, and live out the gospel. That's who we long to be. That's what we want to do. And so the past couple of weeks, we've taken a very specific approach to addressing this. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember that we talked about gospel doctrine. We really took a doctrinal focus to look at Three very specific things. One, what is the gospel? And we find in reading Mark chapter 1 and seeing Jesus proclaim the very gospel himself, this kingdom that has come in him, this redemption, we found out that the gospel is the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see Paul restate this, recapitulate this in 1 Corinthians 15, that that's what the gospel is. It's the good news, the proclamation of what God has done through the life of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And then we saw that there's something to this gospel. It demands a response. We're called to engage with it and to interact with it. When we're presented with this good news, we now have the opportunity to believe in the gospel. And that's, that's, that's language, believe is language that we, we use constantly in our life. But what does it really mean? What does it mean to believe in the gospel? And we looked through the scriptures and saw that what it means to believe in the gospel truly is to entrust our lives, to repent, to turn from our sin, to in recognition of God's goodness, turn away from that which destroys, and to believe in, to entrust our very lives to God because of what he's done for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and then third, we saw that there's some very specific, very clear implications of believing in the gospel. Primarily, what we looked at was John 3.16 and saw the recognition that whoever believes in, whoever believes into Jesus, who trusts in Jesus, who entrusts their life to Jesus, is given eternal life. And not just not death life. Not just get to keep living life, but the actual real life that comes from union with God. Being one with the one who is life itself. And that we're actually drawn into, as we saw in John 1.12, God's family. That, that we are children of God. Those are implications. All that is gospel doctrine stuff. Last week, 
Brian Marbury preached this incredible sermon uh, on David and Mephibosheth, this, this picture in 2 Samuel 9 of the gospel. So we took a doctrinal look at what the gospel is the week before. Last week was a look at, in a real sense, the canonical expression of the gospel. That's just a fancy way of saying that all the canon of Scripture, that every story, everything, beginning in Genesis 3.15 even, you look back to that moment in the garden and you see the first glimmers of the gospel, that everything points to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Today... We're going to do something where we look at just the real, basic, simple practicality of what it means to believe the gospel. What does it mean to believe the gospel? How do I do that? (coughs) How do I take part in and experience the life that comes from the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? How do I practically engage that? Because here is the reality. The gospel is not meant to be believed for a moment long ago in the past for us. It's meant to be believed right now. In this very moment, you and I are called to believe the gospel. And the unique thing about it, and while we'll continue to say gospel over and over again, and we'll press toward something that's already been done is that we have this unique desire as humans and this kind of insatiable nature to think that if if I'm going to grow, if I'm going to transform, if life's going to be better, if life's going to be more than what it is right now, I've got to acquire something. I've got to possess something. I've got to go get something. I've got to obtain it. But the reality is, for the believer, our fight is to continually believe in what we already have what we already possess, to believe in and to trust in and to recognize the power of the finished work of Christ, the eternal life in which we stand, the one who not only saved us, but sustains us. That's the goal of the Christian life. And it all boils down to believing the gospel. Here's the one big thing to take away today. One big thing as we launch toward Romans chapter 10. You and I are called forevermore to keep the gospel before us. To keep the gospel before us. This is Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans 10. We're going to read verses 10 through 17. It says this. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, Thanks be to God. 
Paul is doing something really incredible in this passage. There's something deeply true that is very, very simple that's embedded in the midst of this that, that you and I often miss. He, he is writing to, as he writes this letter to the Romans, there are people that would tell you that, that, that in this passage he's talking very specifically to Jews or he's talking specifically to Greeks. And I think you can look at the whole missional context of this passage and see Paul's talking about the good news of the gospel to all, to Jew, to Greek, to slave, to free, as he would articulate in other letters. He is trying to tell these people to which he's writing that the gospel is for all. That the good news of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of this coming kingdom in Jesus, of what God has done in him, is for everyone. And then he kind of walks through this series of questions which really presents an understanding of how people experience faith. Like, where does it come from? How do you get to the place where you believe? How do you get to the place where you say, okay, Michael, if if gospel belief is is the foundation, if that's what we're called to, I've believed in Jesus, but like, help me understand, like, how does that process work? How does this really happen where I can continually believe in the finished work of Christ? What does that look like? You look down into verse 17 and you see this picture. (coughs) It says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. He's saying, look, how can people believe this if they haven't heard it? Paul takes this incredible truth of what the gospel is and he boils it down to this very simple, really human activity. He says it's hearing. You got to hear it. To believe it. In order to experience this faith, you have to hear it. Faith comes from hearing, he says, and hearing from the word of Christ. And when he says word of Christ, he means something very specific there. When he says word, it also means message. And the message that he's talking about is very succinctly the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is talking about the gospel. This is why he would say this this is How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's that good news. It's that proclamation of the gospel. Faith comes from hearing that word of Christ. When we hear, when we encounter the truth of the finished work of Jesus, what Jesus has done, God's spirit works in us and draws us to faith. And not just saving faith for a moment in our past, but saving faith for moments like right now, where we get to experience the present reality of the gospel. You know how we get our life transformed? You know how we live in the present reality of the very power of the gospel that is salvation? Anybody want to know how to do that? You know how we do it? We do it by hearing the word. This is really simple stuff. But it's deeply profound. Because in the middle of this passage, Paul is saying, in order for people to come to faith, in order for people to trust in Christ, in order for people to commune with and have union with and connection to the living God, they must hear the word of God proclaimed to them. They must hear the truth of God's word. Here's the thing. Our faith is deeply spiritual, deeply mystical. And yet the way 
that God interacts with us in our humanity is very simple. And it's very practical. Quite frankly, it's just really cerebral. Like in order for me to understand the good news, I gotta hear it. I gotta hear it. So at this point, I'm genuinely moving toward the place where I wanna show you hey, do you wanna believe the gospel today? If you want your life transformed by the gospel, you have to put the gospel before you. You have to hear the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what he's done constantly. I'm looking at a room full of people, and some of you have walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive. I know that. I'm well aware of this. This sounds like simple stuff, and yet the reality is the scriptures over and over and over again encourage us to hear and to listen to the word of truth. Look back through the Gospels, and you can look in Matthew 11 and 13, and you can look in, in, in Mark 2 and 8, and Luke 8, 18 specifically, and you can look into Revelation and in, in the early chapters of Revelation and see that there are all of these urges for people to hear. In all those gospel passages, Jesus recounts stories, he tells parables, he gives instruction, and he uses this little phrase. He says, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Why does he say that? Why are the scriptures so intent on drawing us to listen? Because this is the way that we truly experience the gospel where our faith is grown and deepened. It comes through hearing. We have got to hear the message of Christ, the word of Christ constantly. Now, again, I look out at a room full of believers. And so you may say, like, yeah, well, of course. Like, and that's why I have a quiet time. All right, I'm there. I got it. Good. That's fantastic. But I think for the majority of us, And this is not like some Barna study or some demographics. This is just like humanity, okay? Like you're busy. You're really busy. And you do a lot. And a lot of that stuff is fantastic. It is really good stuff. And your experience with hearing God's word has been pushed to the margins of your life. Has been pushed to the margins of your life. To where you would say, I'm going to read God's word when I can, or if I can, or I didn't, you know, I woke up late, or this happened, and kind of the day kind of started speed rolling, I didn't really get to spend time with God, and that begins to get pushed toward just the edge of your life. Anybody want to be transformed by the gospel? They want to be transformed by God? You want to know and experience God in deeper ways? I know that you do. It starts with reorienting our lives around that which is true. And that happens as we hear God's word. That's how that happens. I want to read you a quote from this guy. His name is William Inge. He is no longer with us. He was an Anglican priest, late 1800s, early 1900s. And this one little phrase, really simple, but articulates what we become 
if we don't experience the goodness of God and being confronted by his truth. This is what he said. It is quite natural and inevitable that if we spend 16 hours daily of our waking lives in thinking about the affairs of the world and five minutes in thinking about God and our souls, this world will seem 200 times more real to us than God. Very simple, but really profound. So what's Wild Bill saying? Here's what he's saying. Five minutes is, is, is this increment of a day. And if you're awake for 16 hours, and if, if you're living that life, if you're living that eight-hour full sleep-a-night life, that's a cool life. <laughs> if you're awake 16 hours, right, you only spend five minutes of it thinking about the Lord, really meditating on who you are, and more pointedly spending time with God in His Word and being confronted by truth, you're going to be a person who believes that everything around you is much more real than God is. Make sense? Because you're not experiencing him. You're not knowing him. You're not, I, I would argue this, you're not living in reality. You're not living in the reality that the most foundational thing about you, the most indelible thing about you, the fingerprint, the thing that defines you, who you really, really, really are at the core, if you've trusted in Christ, your life is hidden with him and God. It defines everything that you are, everything about you, more than a social security number or a job or some sort of status or the, the family that you have or the relationships that you have or the people you're connected to or the things that you possess. Those things are not reality. Those things are not really what defines you, all right? This is some spiritual matrix stuff, all right? The thing that's real is that you're connected to God. Because of the finished work of Christ, the gospel. You want to live in a world where you experience that and you know God more? Where the things of the world would grow strangely dim to you because you're so passionately in love with the Lord? You've got to surround yourself with God's word. You've got to carve out time to spend time with the Lord where that's not on the margins of your life. Instead, uh, things are ordered around it. So now instead, it looks like this. Hey, I get up 20 minutes earlier. I get up 30 minutes earlier. And I'm going to be confronted with reality, the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ every day. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to hear that which is true. And I'm going to watch God transform my life. I'm not going to seek to fit God in where I can. No, I'm going to order my life around the good news of the gospel. And hear this, not to be better. Or not to be, even be good. And perish the thought, like, do not hear this. Not because God will love you more if you do that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. No. But because you've experienced this God who loves you, and now you say, God, I, I want to live in such a way where I love you with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. 
I don't want to be transformed by that which is true. We have got to keep the gospel before us. Now, some of us are doing that with a quiet time. Some of us are doing a daily Bible reading plan. Some of us use an app or something like Dwell, right, or a podcast, and we're doing that. But in this moment, I would ask you to examine yourself and ask yourself, where am I spending time with God? Where am I spending time with God? What does it look like? Am I flooding myself with the truth of God's word? Now, look, William Inge wasn't spending 16 hours a day reading the Bible, all right? That guy ate too. That guy went to work too. I don't know what his hobbies were, but he did some stuff probably, all right? He didn't spend 16 hours a day reading the Bible, but he also had an innate understanding of something like my grandmother used to say. You get like what you live with. And if you don't spend time in God's word, you begin to miss out on the reality of who he is and what he's done for you. The blessing, the benefit, the joy of knowing God. We have got to keep the gospel before us, in front of us, if we're going to live it out, if we're going to experience God's goodness. All right, John chapter 17. Two more quick passages. John 17 This is verses 14 through 19. This is the high priestly prayer, or portion of it, rather. Uh, And and this is the last recorded words we have of Jesus in John's gospel before he goes to the cross. And in these moments, he is praying these words directly to God the Father. A really, really, really important passage. (coughs) And a powerful one as he explains the truth of God's word. And in effect, what God does with his word in the heart and lives of his people. Jesus is praying, talking to the Father, and this is what he says. I have given them your word. And he's talking about people that have come to trust in him. I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That's a good push. That's a good point to the illustration that Paxton gave us earlier in, in, uh, in Isaiah 43, right? Not that the flames would be taken away. Not that the, the world would be, we'd be taken away, but instead that God would meet them in it. By his spirit. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And he says this, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Look at verse 17 very specifically. Jesus prays and he asks the Father, he says, sanctify them in the truth. So the way that believers are set apart, the way that they are not just identified and known, but identified in the sense that everything that comprises the core, the guts of who they are, comes from being sanctified in the truth. Being transformed by that which is true. How does that happen? How does that sanctification take place? Look at what the word says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God's word is the means by which the spirit transforms us. 
and sanctifies us and sets us apart and gives us an understanding of the knowledge of God. How can I take part in that? How can I experience sanctification? How can I be transformed into the likeness of Christ if I don't experience the Word? It's not possible. This is the provision that God has made for this to happen. I want to read something Carson says, and this is what he says. He says, in practical terms, no one can be sanctified or set apart without learning to think God's thoughts after him. So what it means to be sanctified is to learn to think the way that God thinks, to love the things that God loves. You have to live in conformity with the word that is given, he says. And he says this, by contrast, the heart of worldliness, of what makes the world the world, is the rejection of God's word, his self-revelation in Jesus Christ. So this world that is hated, or that hates rather the people that love Jesus, this world that hates them, the, the very hatred comes from the place where they don't recognize and assent to and believe in the truth of the gospel. Our belief is what will define us either way. And if we want to be people that, that who do trust in Jesus and will long to be transformed by him, if we're going to grow, we have to be sanctified. We have to be transformed. That happens as we encounter the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. That comes through us experiencing the very word of God. Third and final passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6. This passage is called the Shema. Um, it's a famous, famous uh, ancient Hebrew prayer. Uh, and Shema means hearing. It means hearing. It means listening. Uh, and this is why at the beginning of the passage it says, Hear, O Israel. Um, but this is Deuteronomy 6, 4 uh, through 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord to which we say, Thanks be to God. Here's what's happening in this moment. We get a picture of, from the outset, really, in so many ways, historically, of God's people, the people that follow God, that love Yahweh, that they're commanded to be people who listen and remember with the truth of God ever before them. Think about what this passage says. It begins with this proclamation, the Lord our God is one. This is a picture of devotion to the true reality that God is God and God alone. So the people that, that Moses is writing to, uh, and, and these Hebrew people live in a world, in, in Deuteronomy, you're talking about an ancient world 
with a polytheistic culture. When we say that, what we mean is a culture where it was very common to worship all kinds of different gods, all kinds of different gods. And what's presented here, and God does through Moses, is He shows the people these things that I'm going to tell you, these things that you're called to hear, these things are for your protection and your provision, and they're, quite frankly, the antidote to idolatry, to slipping into a world where you're believing in and worshiping all these gods that are no gods at all. He says, the Lord our God is one, and then he gives very specific instruction. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You know this, as Jesus would teach it, the greatest commandment. And the one that would follow it, the second that is like it, is to love our neighbor as ourself. But what's presented here from the outset, from, from the very beginning historically of people who have followed the Lord, the Lord's people, is that they're called to be devoted and to love Him. These are the kind of people that you and I want to be. What an incredible mark it would be on our life as people said, you know, that person, they seem to just, they're wholly devoted. They love God with all that they are. And, and you can see it because they love their neighbors as their self. Do you want to be that? Yeah, me too. How do I get to that spot? How do I get to the spot where people would say, I mean, that person loves the Lord and loves others? You can see it. Look back into Deuteronomy 6, and you see how this begins to take place and how God seeks to shape the hearts of people. It's through hearing and having the truth of God before them. Because what happens? What does he command? What does he say? You're to teach the truth of who God is and your love for God to your children. To teach them diligently. This is what you're going to talk about when you gather with others. When you walk on the way, and that was a, that's an Old Testament way, an antiquity way, an old, an old way of saying, treading the common path of life. Like this is, that's like, hey, when you get out on 280, right? And you're going out to live your life. You're going to talk about who God is and what he's done. This is going to mark your life when you lie down and when you rise. When you wake up in the morning, your life is meant to be gospel proclamation. Your, your life is meant to be gospel life. When you wake up in the morning, you're meant to. God desires for you to. Think about the fact that you were dead and you've been made alive in Christ. When you wake up in the morning and when you go to sleep, that's the thought that we have the opportunity to have on our heart and our head as we go to sleep, is that God loves me. The life I live, I don't live anymore. The life I live in the body, I live by faith because the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. All of these things pointing to the fact that th this is going to be the most, this is, this is, for all intents and purposes, we're tattooing this on our foreheads, all right? Legitimately, where we see, not legitimately, don't, don't go do that. 
but where we, we see this, when we look in the mirror, we can't escape this, that who God is and what he's done is meant to be constantly heard and constantly remembered. Why? You may say, look, Michael, great. I have a quiet time. I know what God's done for me. I know the Lord. This is simple stuff. It is simple stuff. But in its simplicity, we recognize that we still forget it because we're sheep. We're just kind of, we're just kind of dumb. We're not together. It's all right. We can admit this. You're, you're smart, but you're not. You forget stuff. You forget this gospel every day. Do you know why you sin? Because you forget the gospel. You forget that you're so deeply loved that you don't need that thing that you think is going to give you life in some moment. You forget the gospel. So God's word teaches us to remember it. But the crazy thing is, is that we're like we're stupid, we're sheep, but we're also arrogant. Like it's it's the wildest thing. We we know that we're forgetful, but we're so arrogant that we won't do this. That I can't find a time in my glorious day to carve out for the creator of the universe. Think about it. You're great. God's created you in his image. You're incredible. You're not too important to spend time with the God of the universe. Like, like you'll, you'll, you'll eat. You'll get your work done. You'll get your bills paid. You'll do all that stuff. I know you will. Will you spend time with God? Will you hear the word of God in your daily life in order to be transformed? And are we people, let's just ask ourselves, are we people that do this? Am I somebody that diligently teaches the gospel to my children? I want to tell you about people that serve our church. Kim Jones, who serves in our preschool, I'm telling you, she, look, number one, she keeps those kids alive and safe. And that's a challenge when they're that young at times. I mean that, seriously. But here's the reality. That ain't her main goal. Her main, I mean, it is. Wait, hold on. Let me start back. Let me back up. We're putting in a bad spot here. It is her main goal, running with that goal, parallel, okay, and yet slightly ahead, is this. She preaches the gospel to those kids. She tells those kids of the love that Jesus has for them. All right? Ben Stevenson. Ben's a brilliant guy. Loves those kids. Works really hard to help those kids that are, that are beyond preschool, that are, that are school age, those kids experience the gospel. Look, Hunter Gregg, brilliant. I love Hunter. And, and what these students have experienced in, in ministry from him and understanding and growth in the gospel, incredible. And all of those things are meant to supplement gospel in the life of those children and the children that you have that are a part of this church. But you need to hear this. You know who the chief disciple maker is in your home? You know whose responsibility it is to teach the gospel to your child? You. 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 And for me, it's me. For my kids, it's me and Mia. We have to teach our kids the gospel. You don't, 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 like, bring your kids here. Let them come hear the gospel. But don't let it stop there. How do, you, how do you do that? How do you get to the place where, what do you mean, teach my kids the gospel and tell my kids the gospel? No, I mean, do it like this. Teach them. 
Tell them about Jesus and what he's done, his life, his death, his resurrection, the good news of who he is. And do it like this. Talk about it when you're sitting in your house. That's what Deuteronomy says. This is what God's people are commanded to do. And do it when you walk by the way. Do it constantly. Do it when you rise. Do it when you wake up in the morning. Do it when you lay down. The goal of life to be transformed in the image of God in Christ, to, to be sanctified, to be made more like Jesus. How in the world does this happen? It happens by talking about Jesus. That seems nuts, right? But this is what it looks like. And you might be like, hey, why are you getting fired up? And I kind of wondered a little bit too, right? I didn't want to expect that. I didn't see that coming. But here's the thing. I mean this. Are we these people? Because I'm willing to bet we got room to grow here. I'm willing to bet we got room to grow in our homes of, of talking about Jesus with one another. I know we say blessings at dinner. We recognize that all good gifts are provision from the Lord. I know that. I know we do those kind of things. I'm talking about, like, are we talking about Jesus and who he is and what he's done? Because you know what happens when we do that? We're sanctified. We're transformed. How does that happen? Because the word is truth. And it changes us. God, by his spirit, transforms us and changes us. Um, I'm Michael. If we haven't met, I'm not application guy. I'm not the guy, like, week after week that's going to tell you, hey, I need you to go do this thing, right? I want to ask you to do something this week, like, very specifically. Whether it is a friend, a neighbor, your child, your spouse, I want you to share the story of how you came to know Christ with a person in your life. I mean, maybe, maybe it's husband and wife. Maybe that's who it is. Maybe it's you telling your child about how you came to know Jesus. Maybe it's you telling a coworker. And this can be a billion things. It can be encouragement, and it can be evangelism, and it can be all that different kind of stuff. But the main thing is to help you cultivate and build the habit where you recognize where you're constantly talking about what God has done. Because you know what happens when you do that? You hear God's very word. You hear the truth of the gospel. And you know what happens? There's faith. Faith comes and grows and is strengthened through hearing, and you're sanctified in truth. You're transformed. Could we be people this week that actually do that? Like where we actually do that? Even with the people that you're closest to. Like, I, like there are folks, you're, you've been married for like so long. Longer than I've been alive, maybe. And you've like seen each other in bad spots. And I'm talking about like emotionally bad spots, and I'm talking about like sick like gross sick, like you know you're in love because that person is like there the next day, right? Like that, that they were with you in that kind of sickness. You know that that's like, and you've got this deep bond and you've seen children be born and you've done all this stuff and you won't talk to each other about Jesus. Legitimately. It just like it's, it's hard, it's scary. What if I say something wrong? Talk about what God has done in your heart and your life. Constantly, when you wake up and when you lay down. If you do this, 
And here, let's just, I'll assume positive intent here. When you do this, you'll experience God transform you. Uh, as our worship team comes, uh, we get the opportunity to respond. We're going to sing some very specific words this morning. Anytime there's an invitation, a challenge, an opportunity to do something, um, there's the propensity. There's, in fact, sometimes maybe a proclivity, like just, just a natural thought that, like, I got to go do this. I want you to understand that keeping the gospel before you, that hearing God's word, that taking that act, taking that step this week to carve out time and to take a a time with God from the margins of your life to something that is focal and central to your daily life, to take in moments where you're saying, you know what, like, I'm going to, I'm going to start talking about Jesus when I wake up and when I lay down. I'm going to start preaching the gospel to myself in the morning. I'm going to remind myself of the truth of God's word. I'm going to read God's word. You know what, I'm going to tell my spouse today about what God's been doing in my heart lately. And I don't know how to say it, but I'm going to start. I'm just going to try. And I'm going to make this hearing of the gospel something that's just constant and ever before me. There's a thought, there's an idea that's like, if I do that in my own power, this incredible stuff will happen. You need to understand that any transformation you experience is through Christ, not through us. The things that we do, that, we, that these are invitations where we're called to experience God. This is not, I'm going to go read God's word and I'm going to hear God's word constantly in order to believe the gospel to be better. No, no. Go put yourself before the gospel to see who God is and what he's done and how deeply he loves you. Because if we really truly are encountering the gospel, we're going to come to the recognition that we can't do anything. There is no hope, there's no life, there's no joy, there's no ability, there's nothing outside of Christ working in us and changing us. And the cool thing is, is when we put ourselves in positions constantly where the gospel is before us, where we hear the word, where the word is before us drawn deeper into faith and belief and the recognition that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So let's be people this week that when we wake up, when we lie down, when we eat a meal, when we talk with one another, we're sharing who Jesus is and what he's done. God will bless us and transform us and change us to experience him and know him like we never have before. I want you to stand with me and let's pray as we begin to close our time this morning. Heavenly Father, we confess that we long to know you. Father, we say we want to know you. Um, and God, you've given us provision the opportunity for us to know you through encountering you in your word. God, would you make us people that have the gospel ever before us in order that we might be strengthened to believe the gospel, to fight sin, to to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. 
God, all of these things we long to do, but we can't do them, Father. We need you to do them by your power, by your Holy Spirit. Father, every good and perfect thing is from you. Would you let today and this week be an opportunity to recognize that and see that and taste and see that you're good as we keep the gospel before us? In Jesus' name.